0: and welcome to the Motorsport F1 season review, looking back on an incredible, controversial and to be honest, barely believable 2021 season. I'm Chris Medland and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Damien Smith, Motorsport Magazine Special Contributor and Mark Hughes, Grand Prix Editor for Motorsport Magazine. Hello gents, how are we doing?
1: Good, nice to see you Chris. Yeah, all good Chris and um, it's ages since I've seen you, it's probably a few days at least isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, in this season, that is ages. um Thank you both, by the way, for offering alternate titles for each other. But uh, I think we're going to try and avoid making this podcast explicit. So, uh, to make sure it can go on all platforms, I'm not allowed to repeat those. So, um, on that note, let's get into it and start with a nice and simple, easy question just to get the ball rolling. Uh, was 2021 the greatest Formula One season you've ever seen, Damien?
2: I've thought about this one for quite a while, and I have to say, yes, I think it was. Um, in terms of two drivers at the top of their game in two cars different cars that were so well matched over the season, obviously it it swung both ways over the season with Red Bull um, starting quicker and the way Mercedes came back at them at the end of the season um I just don't think we've had anything quite this intense and this close between two drivers who I consider two of the greats quite simply and um I've been working with Johnny Herbert this year on his columns for Motorsport and he said a couple of months ago this is better than Prost and Senna um and I hadn't really thought about it until he said it and then he's right I think it is I think this is this is as good as it's been and the the great thing is it can get it can get better
0: Yeah we'll definitely get onto that but what about you Mark
1: Yeah Apart from the ending, apart from the little twist on the tail of the last lap, which um, sort of spoiled everything, really. But, yeah, in terms of the intensity of the fight, as Damon says, and just the fact that it was there every race. It was there from, you know, the very first race in Bahrain. Um, and it just it never stopped. It never stopped through that long, long season. <laughs> and you get the final round up on identical points. And it, it wasn't just that you know, one of them had had a good race when the other one had a bad race. And that's why the points were was, they were pretty much at each other's throats the whole time. And, um, yeah, controversy, which is, you know, always adds to it and just, yeah, the, the whole, the, the whole it would been waiting so long for Verstappen to get in a title contending car, because he's obviously the cutting edge of the, the new generation. Even though he's been in F1 for years now, and you know, all of F1 was longing to see that battle, and it, it looked as though Lewis might be able to sort of break all records and retire without ever having properly taken an arm over a season. Yeah, little little overlaps here and there, but you know, in the way that we didn't, in historical terms, we didn't get to see. Um, Jim Clark take on Sterling Moss, or Jackie Stewart take on Jim Clark, or Michael Schumacher take on Ayrton Senna, on equal terms. It looked as though this might happen. It might, you know, Max might never get into a title-contending car during the time that Lewis was still active, but we, we got it. We got it this season and um, it was very exciting from the moment that uh, testing in Bahrain suggested that the Red Bull was absolutely bang on the pace. In fact, probably a faster car at that stage of the season. So, we, you know, it looked on and it um, we had our fingers crossed that it would sustain. And it absolutely did, didn't it? And uh, yeah, an uh, uh, amazing season, truly, truly stunning season.
0: Yeah, it's funny you should bring up testing in Bahrain, because I remember, I'm sure you guys must have had similar. The amount of people that would respond to any article that said, Red Bull are really in the mix here. This is probably the season we're going to see Mercedes challenged. And every fan turned around being like, no, Mercedes are sandbagging. Have you not watched the last seven years? There's no way that's going to happen. And then we finally got it in, in that first race. And like you say, Mark, the way that They both were racing each other. This wasn't just a case of, okay, Mercedes are quick on X-track and Red Bull on Y-track, and that will balance out over the season. A bit like, you know, I recall that McLaren and Ferrari 2007-8 sort of spell where actually it was fairly rare for them to be racing wheel-to-wheel. It was more track-suiting each car. But but then Bahrain, yeah, that really set the tone. Um, And Damien, if we start with how that did kind of pan out, we got what we thought looked like a faster Red Bull, but then we got Hamilton getting the win. Um, and in, in a sense that didn't show what was coming later in the season because they kept it clean and they kept it, they kept it careful.
2: Yeah. And as you say, it did set the tone because, um, Hamilton was boxing clever in that race as he, as he, as he tends to, um, with all of his experience and, um, you know, Verstappen kind of fluffed his lines there a little bit, I think, um, on a, on a day when he probably should, you know, he should have won. Um, but those races where, um, you've got. Some variety in strategy, uh, and uh, the race can suddenly come back towards the other driver, and you know that it's going to it's all going to come to a climax at the end of the end of the race. We had a, a number of those this this year, um, and uh, you couldn't take your eyes off it. And um, that that Bahrain race actually is one of my favourites of the season for that reason, and um, the fact that it was this fascinating duel between these two guys who, on speed, were so equally matched, uh, and Lewis that day. It was just the, the old, the old wily old fox kind of syndrome there that, uh, you know, his experience won that won that race.
0: Yeah, it, it was a race that stands out to me as well as actually one of the better ones because of the different aspects to it. But it, it was so long ago now. But um, Mark, when you saw that, did you think, OK, maybe, you know, if Mercedes still have this edge that they can find ways of winning, even when the car's not great. Once they get the car sorted with these new regulations, they're going to be unstoppable. Was, was it? Almost an ominous sign at that point, or did that confirm to you that we we're in for a, an epic year?
1: No, it was. Um, I, I was pretty convinced that the Red Bull was genuinely there, and um, that yeah, there might be a development race, and it might um, that might change. But they, yeah, they, they nicked that win really. They, they they nicked it through strategy, and as Damien says, through Lewis Box and clever, and and so the the fascinating thing was um, will. Will, will that um, performance sort of status with the Red Bull slightly faster, will that be maintained? And and was this, in, in that case, was that win that Hamilton-Mercedes stole um, just going to be a sort of, a, a, you know, an unusual sort of blip in a, in a season of uh, Verstappen dominance? But there were so many phases of the season still to play out in terms of the both the, the comparison with the cars and and what the incidents on track between them but it's yeah i would say for the first sort of um with with exceptions i would say first half of the season the red bull was generally quicker but with exceptions second half of the season the mercedes was generally quicker um and it you know at all the, the fulcrum seemed to be the silverstone upgrade on on the mercedes but within within that sort of broad pattern there were all sorts of um, subtleties and nuances and you know, different track temperatures would suddenly swing it a different way and um you know the the particular circuits uh, type of um, track surface would suit one and not the other and and then we got the complications later in the season with engine penalties and th- yeah so it was, it was it was constantly mixed up and it was difficult to make out a trend because it was changing so often and it's only once you get to the end of it and you can look back and say, yeah, the general trend is now clear was this and this was going on and that was going on. But it, it, when you were in the moment, it was very difficult to sort of pick out a pattern. You thought you thought a pattern was emerging. And just as, as that happened, it would suddenly swing back the other way, um, sometimes even within, the, within a weekend, sometimes even within a, a race weekend. It,
2: it was almost like the years where we have a tyre war in that sense, where you yeah, go from race yeah. to race and you wouldn't know what was coming next. Um, and yet we didn't have a tire war and it was it was amazing how these two teams um, with two very different approaches were coming at it from different angles and getting so close to each other week in week out
0: yeah it's funny you mentioned week in week out i promise we're not going to go through every single race race by race but Having mentioned Bahrain, we can't not mention Imola because I feel like that was a bit of a seminal moment with the way that, I mean, firstly, where Sergio Perez's qualifying lap came from, I have no idea. Uh, But then for Verstappen, who looked like, again, he'd maybe cracked slightly in qualifying and only qualified third, having not won the first race, to lead into turn one with a properly robust move on Lewis was the first real indication of how those two were going to have to compete with each other, I guess. It was it was the first, dare I say, flashpoint if it was kept clean in Bahrain. Um, and so, yeah, Damien, I mean, the way that those two created these moments uh, and, and and laid down markers at that point, um, do you think it was just a case of Lewis maybe not taking the challenge too seriously or kind of feeling things out? Um, or, or do you think that that was just a case of, yeah, you know, there's no other way to respond to Max Verstappen when he's in that sort of mood?
2: Yeah, I, I think by now Lewis knows what Max is like. And he knew at that stage certainly. Max has been around a long time, as Mark said. You know, he, he's still young, but he's been around a long time. And um, I think Lewis was wary of Max, and had decided, you know, to basically look after his front wings as much as he could, and 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 get to the end of races because he knows that's what championships are all about. Um, and Max just doesn't really care about anyone else. You know, he's got that arrogance of utter self-belief that he's the best out there and you know he'll play by his own rules um, and I think that uh, scared is a wrong word but I think the other drivers are wary of him from that perspective because they know that you know he's, he hasn't got the boundaries there you know and I think Lewis was you know concerned at that stage about how to race against this guy and Silverstone was the culmination of that where right there's got to be a, a, a line drawn in the sand here. And from from now on, you know, I'm not going to back out.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, even if we keep a focus on Imler for right now, though, I mean, if we put together all the aspects that were there, the weather conditions an old school circuit, everyone barreling into Turn 1, this was old school classic Formula 1 in a sense. And, and Max just elbowed the seven-time world champion out of his way and said, no, nah, this is going to be my race. Um, Mark, had you seen someone maybe stamp their authority so clearly in the sense of, you know, this wasn't a year when Max had to do that every single race because each individual race might be his only chance to win. As you said, this was a championship-winning car. Perhaps he could even have been more conservative than we'd seen before. And instead, he seemed perhaps even more aggressive.
1: Yeah, um, probably not. I mean, um, thinking back to when Fernando Alonso first got himself into a reasonable car in 2003 in the Renault, he had a few... Um, sort of wheel to wheel moments with Schumacher and putting markers down and Schumacher retaliating. And it was, a, I suppose, a similar dynamic to this, but Alonso was just in his first full season in a, in a competitive car at that point. And, um, you know, Max has been around a long time. So I think, yeah, as Damien said, Lewis knows exactly what he's going to get wheel to wheel with Max. He's He talked about it as long ago as. 2016, he's he's not quite sure how to handle them, other than to give him room because you know your chances of contact are pretty high if you don't. So, um, yeah, I think Lewis played it differently as well, not not just according to, um, you know, drawing a line, which he did do at some point, but I think also according to where he where he was in the in the championship and where he thought the um, imperative was so i think at that stage in the season it was looking like the red bull was going to be a faster car so lewis is going to have to, to have any chance in, in the championship lewis was going to have to finish every race i think um and i think by the time or sort of i know you want to keep it to imola a but i think later on coming to silverstone he's quite a long way behind and almost had nothing to lose and i think that's where he decided that was where he was going to change it but yeah, in Emela definitely it was just this. Uh, uh, he's he's coming barreling down here. I'm just going to get out of the way, even if it means clambering over the curbs. Um, and also, that race was um, where Hamilton made his biggest blunder of the year, and the re- the red flag rescued him from the from, from the the penalty of it because he was going to finish second anyway. He was, I think, actually that. He'd he he'd, he'd nick Bahrain sort of against the odds. And there was a little window at Imola where Max got caught up lapping a train of back markers, and Lewis sensed opportunity in that moment. Hey, I might be able to nick this one as well in the slower car twice in a row. And I think that really led him to sort of for the probably the only time all season for the for that competitive instinct to take over his judgment and put a marginal move offline on the damp on George Russell and it almost lost them everything in in that race and luckily there wasn't a very an accident for these teammate and he's cousin teammate <laughs> than the next lap, which um, which uh, sort of rescued him, and he still finished second anyway. But yeah, that was his only real big blunder of the year. I, mean, I know he knocked his brake, switch, brake magic switch off later on, but he you could equally blame that on the ergonomics of the steering wheel out. It wasn't so much a driving error as as that was, a judgment error, let's say, as, as Imola was. Um, so yeah, I mean, Max was always going to win that race once he'd, once he'd uh, bundled Lewis out of the way. Uh, The the Red Bull was switching his ties on immediately. The Merck was taking five, six laps to do it. So yeah, it was always going to win that race.
0: Yeah, it's funny though that you've you've both mentioned Silverstone already. I mean, we can't ignore what happened there and what a turning point that might have been because as you say, we saw kind of uh, the way the two approached racing each other early on and then there weren't really major flash points beyond there. Barcelona was potentially one at the start, but even then Lewis took the same approach, jumping out the way. And then you had the run of three wins um, for Verstappen which could have been easily five with Baku as well and it was 32 points clear heading into that Silverstone weekend at that point I think a lot of us probably thought this is Red Bull's title to lose Max's title he's going to walk it uh, where do you stand on on what Silverstone kind of represented in terms of the incident I mean I, I personally haven't actually spoken to either of you and yeah, you know, we've had a lot of time to digest that one now uh, for your views on that collision but also um, yeah how it marked a turning point in the whole year now with hindsight uh look, damien for you was it punished correctly was it you know was there blame on both sides how do you see it
2: i thought it was a racing accident and the punishment was correct and i never bought into the melodrama that, that um, was created around it really um when you look back at the exit that lewis got out of luffield he was sucked into that move. He had the momentum. And there was a gap. It wasn't a big gap, but it was a gap there. And if it had been the other way around, you can be sure Max would have gone for it in the same way. And I, I think it actually showed their similarities in, in many ways as much as anything, because um, it was just two hard-headed racers. Um, and it was so critical at that point that you know Lewis had to try and get in front of him at that point if he had any chance of beating him. Um, and as I say, I felt the momentum there was with him. He he had to go for it. And particularly in the context of the points situation and and where they were in the championship, he was, he was losing the championship. It was, it was disappearing in front of him. Um, and I thought it was on, it was a move that was on, but it was at the same time, it was also inevitable they were going to crash because that corner is such a big corner. And, um, Max, as we know, is not the sort of guy to, to back out, um, but yeah the, the melodrama after that disappointed me i think and um and that for me you know mark said at the beginning that the the end of the championship the shine was taken off it a little bit by the, by the circumstances and um i found the this sort of tv style tension that was created between the two teams particularly between the two team bosses fairly tiresome pretty quickly um and i was much more interested in what's happening with these these two drivers and that was that was the real uh, and it, it, clearly, it was a it was a it was a turning point in their relationship for lots of reasons. Um, and you know, Max then saying Lewis was disrespectful because he was in the hospital, and he kind of ramped it up as well. Um, but if it had been at Zandvoort, you know, and the other way around, would would Max have been solemn on the podium? I don't think so.
0: I don't think anyone would have let him with the uh, backing tracks that they were putting on wherever you walked around in Zambor. I don't think you could. I don't think anyone could be solemn at any point during that weekend. But yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. And do you feel as well though that it maybe did ratchet up the kind of personal rivalry between the two at that stage and took it from what had been fairly like under the lid at that point and 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 took that lid off because, like you say, both were kind of uh, criticised and and both almost certainly Max's side as well ramped up the pressure then.
2: I think it had to because it was it was high speed. It was a big accident, um, and it was it was the first time they'd properly come together. And it's going to change a relationship, particularly when you're in an intense title rival uh, rivalry the way that they are. So I think it was inevitable that uh, if it was going to happen, I just I was thinking for the first half of the season, I really hope it doesn't happen, that they they managed to find a way not to hit each other. But I guess with hindsight, it's easy to say, but I guess it was always going to happen at some point, and it happened at an incredibly fast corner that's you know it is you know people do overtake at cops but it's it's not easy to do. Um and it needs the other guy to kind of help. And uh Max was never going to do it. So it was it was a perfect storm in that sense, I suppose.
0: Yeah and and Mark from your point of view, you mentioned it earlier actually though it it wasn't just about the collision between the two or what happened uh, in terms of the racing between them that weekend, was it? That was a that was a turning point as well from Mercedes and the car it then gave Lewis from that point on to get back into that fight.
1: Yeah, so Red Bull came into that weekend having pretty much dominated the first half of the season, really, in, in performance terms. They arrived there, big lead in the championship. They left there with an eight-point lead from 32 um, with a wrecked car, a wrecked power unit, and a Mercedes, which in hindsight was about three tenths faster than it had been in the first half of the season, so all of a sudden it's just completely flipped. the The whole dynamic of the of the the the, the battle has completely flipped. And in the bargain, they've took you know zero points in the drivers in hospital. Um, as for the incident itself, for me, completely, completely erasing an incident with no blame on either side. I, I di- disagreed even with the penalty. I didn't think there should have been any penalty whatsoever. Um, you got a guy on the inside, partly alongside. You got a guy on the outside. It's it's up to them. They, you know, you, you can try and hang on around the outside. That's up to you. But you're the one at risk because you're on the outside. Um, you can try and you know figure that the other guy is going to be intimidated out of the way and going to have to back down. But he's not obliged to. And just as the guy on the inside, Lewis, is. Um, hoping that he can intimidate the, the guy on the outside end up into backing off but that guy's not obliged to but the guy on the outside the one that's more vulnerable in that situation um and yeah, that, that's what happened and the buildup to it was the the Honda had been all through the weekend the Honda had been derating through um woodcote and merck were onto this they knew this and they suspected that The red bull was still the faster car because although the qualifying it wasn't in in the very hot conditions qualifying was cooler than the rest of the weekend the very hot conditions the red bull looked significantly faster still and i think they thought if we don't get past i think lewis thought if we don't get past it on the first lap we've lost this race the only way we have a chance of this race is to lead it lead the first in and they already knew that the, the opportunity was going to be at Woodcut because the honda was derating through luffield so and the mercedes wasn't so they, they set it up to make sure it wasn't because that that was their their opportunity to, to pounce um and I, i'm pretty sure that's why lewis didn't actually um press on when, when he got to what's it the left-hand of brooklands and he had a run he he didn't he didn't commit to that move. You know, I, I think he could have done it at that point, but he didn't commit to it because I, I guess he thought, right, Max is probably gonna we're gonna have contact if I try and do that. And I, I know what I'm gonna do coming up. And in the sprint race the day before, he tried to go for the outside and he instantly realized no I should've done the in should've done the inside. So he dummied him. He he went in knowing he was gonna he knew the Honda was gonna do right there. He knew Max was going to expect try for the outside because he was blocking the inside. So he just dummied him. And it was a beautiful move, an exquisite move. Um, and it could have worked, but Max decided, no, you're not doing it, which he was, as I say, he was entitled to do. And Lewis, I think the last millisecond realised, as Max sort of he, he initially veered away and then turned back in, at that point, Lewis did try to get out of it. And I think it was that that stopped it being an interlo- you know, interlinking wheel huge accident it was just that last split second of Lewis getting out of it um but I don't think there was any blame on either side
0: yeah personally for what it's worth I'm I'm with you on that I think it was um it was one of those where it was certainly both can look at the other and be like well you should have backed out and if they can each say it about each other that's to me the definition of a racing incident that you know that if they can both strongly hold that view but that was the first of quite a few big controversial moments between the two. Um, We obviously had the Monza collision. We had what happened in Jeddah. Um, Where do you guys feel that those incidents kind of, uh, or what did those incidents do for that relationship between them? Do you think it was just inevitable that over 22 races with two cars so closely matched, such a tight title fight that you're going to get to those positions? Or was there maybe a, a bit of an edge that was becoming a bit ugly at times between the two of them?
2: I think, I think well, sorry. sorry. Um, yeah, in the last couple of days, Verstappen's talked about. Um, he used the word hate, didn't he? But at times we we hated each other. I, I think it it did become personal. Um, and again, I think it's probably inevitable when you have got two guys that, of of actually similar natures in the sense that they are they know how good each you know they are personally, um, and. Uh, I think it did step over that line, which I think you know. I think I wrote something earlier in the year about the, the Prost and Senna comparison, and got got slated by about quite a few people because it's uh, it's just a bit of a cliche. But there is an element of of truth in it. I think that that um, these these two guys they could see each other in them in each other. I think you know, a reflection of each other in some senses, and some big differences as well. But I think they um, I think it just became a, a a bit of a grudge and, and it's, you know, the, the focus on them, the pressure that they're facing and the resilience they have to have to deal with that. Um, it's going to crack, isn't it? I think, and, and it, it did on on too many occasions in the end.
1: I think also when you got two rivals from different teams fighting, as opposed to Senna Prost in the, in the same team in 88-89, it's a very different dynamic. And I think when you're in a different team, you're in your encampment, and everybody's got a sort of bunker mentality, a sort of warlike mentality, and it just feeds on itself, and it just makes makes it more intense and makes makes it more polarized. Whereas I think when it's in the same team, I think the um, the, the antipathy between the two drivers is maybe even more intense, but the the, the team atmosphere sort of keeps bringing it back to sanity um because it can be explained no no that's look if we look at this telemetry and if you look here and you need to go and talk to them now because blah 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 whereas that doesn't happen of course on a different team it's 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 you know it, it just builds on itself and, and feeds on itself and i think that's what what makes it um that's what made this one particularly edgy um that they're, they're neither of them uh the sort of personality that 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 that, that would have the poison of the uh center-prost relationship they're they're not they're they're both actually nice guys um but they're intense competitors and they're in a sort of a warlike situation in in the bunker and i think that's that's all we saw
0: did that poison though come from the team bosses instead
1: yeah i think it did um you know, there was a there was a lot of propaganda in that as well. It was, it was, it was a lot of them is being inflamed, and it was already you know as, as um, Cops Connor showed it was already intense enough. It really didn't need any of that.
0: And for you, Damien, did, did you find the, the same? Did, was that too much from, from the bosses really deflecting? Because that's what their role was, really, wasn't it? You could tell they were both being quite similar at trying to take heat or focus onto themselves. Hmm. And even if they were pointing at someone else, they were the ones wanting to be the focal point. But did they ever do it?
2: Yeah, I, I was... I've, I I thought at times this season, if either one of them had ended up properly hurt in an accident, those team bosses probably would have had to... Think about their contribution uh, that they've made to this situation. I, I thought at times both of them um, pushed it too far. And it, as Mark was saying about this sort of intense rivalry between two camps, and it was like that it was two two tribes going to war. Um, and at times for me, it, it, it you know I know Formula One's cutthroat and it's win at all costs and all this stuff. And that's, you know, a gentlemanly sport is old fashioned and, and out of touch. But I I felt at times um, the team bosses lost perspective, I think. Um, it was interesting last night. I was at the FIA prize giving last night and um, Max's night, big night for Max. And the room you could sense was with Max. So it was quite tough for uh, James Allison, you know, a bit of a um, hospital pass given to him by Toto to go and pick up the award. Uh, but he was very gracious. On stage and talked about uh, the respect uh, between the two camps, and um, it, the, the phrase he used was we, "we we got on each other's tits at times," is what he said, which is quite funny. Um, and he, you know, he he basically um, said that's part of the game; that's what happens, you know. Um, but as I say, I, I did feel at times that um, maybe uh, in this era and you know people talk about the netflix era it it felt at times that it was being ramped up a little bit too much by people who probably should know better
0: yeah, I'd agree. And it's funny you mentioned uh, James Allison there. and feeling a bit sorry for him. I was the same with Valtteri when he was meant to be there for the press conference alongside Max and what would have been Christian because Toto wasn't there and Lewis wasn't there. And I thought the poor guy's leaving the team and it looks like he's going to be the unofficial spokesperson for them for half an hour or so. But uh, conveniently, his flight got delayed, didn't it? So he it got there, he got there handy, too that, late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if we like speak of, of the drivers on a more positive no, then I mean it's it's easy to focus on the controversies they, they made some of the bigger headlines but yeah we started this by saying this was potentially the greatest F1 season we've seen how good were Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen this year as drivers because you know I mentioned Valtteri there couldn't get near either of them nor could Checo it's not just one teammate to one teammate we so often saw Lewis or Max Max or Lewis first and second in some order they were they were a class above weren't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking you look back at previous seasons, and you you usually look for sort of two or three performances a season, which are the key performances of a of a driver, a top driver season. And with with these two, there's so many this year. It's almost every every weekend, they both put in something that was extra special, you know. And um, uh, you know, we could go through all the races and, and pick out which ones, but we're not going to do that. But you know, it, it there are um, so many. They were on it every weekend, both of them, you know, um, uh, and that's that's why it was special to me. I think was that, that, that these two guys who, you know, both both fabulous. I mean, Max is what what a talent, what a, what a guy he is, you know, and for them both to be at it um, at the top of their game, you know, Lewis thirty six years old and still still right there, and this guy who's you know twelve years his junior, um, but also because he started so young has so much experience. It's just, you know, Mark made a great point earlier about you know, the 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 eras we missed when uh, you know with with Clark and Moss etc. That's, that's that's it exactly, and finally it's happened. We've actually got these two guys at it, um, and uh, that's why it's got to carry on.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mark, from your point of view, how about how Sorry. good they were?
1: Yeah, I think they um, they pushed each other to um, a new level. I think they they did step it up and they they pulled away from from everyone else. I, and I mean, there were some great drivers in that field and, and that the, the didn't have the, the quality of the machinery. But um, I think when you're in a, a championship situation, um, the, the great drivers do find more from themselves. And I think they both did. I think they both took themselves to uh, levels that they wouldn't have reached if the other one hadn't have been there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, statistically, I think the... The number of times they were one, two, and the number of times they shared a front row in completely different cars. Um, I think that just really sort of underlines that point.
0: Yeah, neither of them would let the other get away, would they? Whenever it was even a dominant weekend for one team, it was always the other title rival that was there in second limiting the damage. But that was also played out over the longest season Formula One's ever seen on... A variety of tracks, some of them that were added late, some that were finished, barely finished, very late. Um, what do you think of the the actual challenge they were faced with as drivers? If we look at not just then Max and Lewis, I guess, but for the whole field with um, what this season threw at everyone. Uh, we had a header in Austria. Uh, we had Imola earlier in the year. We had yeah, new circuits towards the end of the year. Uh, Damien, do you think it was perhaps the most complete test of a driver that we're going to going to have seen. And, and, and do you like some of the tests that they got, some of the stuff that was added this year?
2: Um, I think there's too many races. Um, you know, I think winning a grand Prix, you know, is, is always should be a big deal. Should, you know, just, um, there was always that thing about making every grand Prix a super bowl. And um, most of them were, were great. But I I just think um, I didn't like Saudi. I have to say, I think it's the wrong place to be racing, and I think the circuit was great over one lap in terms of. um, But it was like a video game, crazy place, you know. And it was they got away with it; no one was hurt. Um, To me, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it got signed off. Really, I just, you know, um, really odd. I was so happy it wasn't the final venue. Imagine if that had been the the place they decide to finish the season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm kind of torn because it was lovely having this sort of wall-to-wall racing every weekend. That you, you, know, you the next chapter, you didn't have to wait very long for it. You know, in the past, you had to wait. You know, there used to be gaps in the season when we only had 16 races all those years ago. You know, um, but yeah, it, it's too many. I can't. I, I just think they should um, pick and choose the best ones. But obviously,
1: that's that's not going to make the money.
0: Mark, you were at most of them yourself. Was it too many for you as well?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely too many. But um, that's, I, I find it difficult to sort of put myself in the, the position from the outside. Would, if, if I was just a fan following, would, it, would I feel it was too many? Or, or would I love the fact that there was always a Grand Prix to look forward to? I, I, I don't know, to be honest. But um, yeah, certainly the, the challenge and the quick fire ch- challenge and constant sort of changes without without the uh testing preparation you know not very much testing at all uh was a yeah a brilliant challenge for the the, the teams and the drivers so it yeah it, it sparkled the whole season sparkled but whether it was um quite as necessary to have quite so many diamonds in in that uh i i don't know but yeah it it, it was a challenge and it, it put um i i think for the drivers, less so, because they, they, they all love being in the car. Um, mm. But for the guys preparing the cars and the, the guys getting the cars there and the, the team there and, you know, putting up the awnings and taking them down, it's probably asking a bit much. Well, if you
2: ask the drivers if they prefer testing or racing, they're always going to say racing, aren't they? So in that sense, mm. this year is better for them because, you know, they used to face three days in Barcelona mid midweek after a Grand Prix. You know, it was like, oh my God, here we go. You know, whereas now they've got another race to look forward to, and um, if they if they're not racing for real now, they're racing virtually uh, uh, when they're when then when there's not, they have a rare off weekend. So, from that perspective, I suppose it's it's good to have this wall you know wall to wall racing. As Mark says, if, for the fans, it's just it's you know it's on a, it's, it's like streaming your favorite TV show, isn't it? It's just uh, you know the next episode is coming straight round.
0: Yeah, you're binge watching it. And um, it's funny you talk about virtual racing, but if you're Fernando Alonso, you do the tyre the test in Abu Dhabi and you finish that day and you drive straight up to Dubai to do practice for a 24-hour kart race. The guy just can't get enough of being in something that goes quick. Yeah. Different levels are quick, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think one of the aspects that um, came out of the kind of quick-fire nature of the season, the fact that you couldn't maybe over prepare for things or even have time to really catch your breath before the next race is that fluctuation we saw even in a weekend of car performance even at the front with the biggest teams that sometimes they did hit the ground at the wrong point and had to react there and then and and get it together and that's why we saw uh, some of those changes but um we, we had the sprint we had uh, new venues but almost ironically it was it was some of the older venues that provided some of the other highlights in the season. Um, I don't don't want to make this only the Max and Lewis show. So we've got to look at some of the midfield runners too and, and uh, how they fared. And if you look at Monaco with Derek, how can I call Ferrari midfield? But I am. Uh, with Charles Leclerc putting it on pole and Carlos Sainz being so quick that weekend. Obviously, Baku straight after that with another Ferrari pole position. Then we had the Hungary... Drama uh, with one car on the grid, but Ocon getting a win. Monza even with the only one-two of the year for McLaren. It's the only team that got a one-two all season, which is remarkable. Um, but there was some there was some real highlights there in the midfield. And I, you know, we've just talked about how good Max and Lewis were because of how far clear of the field they put themselves. But actually, that midfield battle was closer to the front than. Maybe we've seen at times, and we did get mixed up results as well. Uh, Damien, from your point of view, was there was there a hint there at where F1 needs to be going, and, and were you impressed by some of some of the performances we saw from uh, some of these teams, or conversely, as I'm calling Ferrari, McLaren, midfield teams, is it almost a bit disappointing that they perhaps weren't performing even better?
2: Well, it's it's obviously disappointing that they're not closer to Red Bull and Mercedes at the moment, and we hope with the the rules reset they will be. But I guess the, the context of this season being this sort of interim season. Kind of meant that you know Ferrari didn't put the resources into this year at all. They were putting everything into uh, into next year, so it was kind of a holding pattern. And yet they still finished third in the championship. Um, you know Leclerc Leclerc could have won a race in Monaco, and he, he could have won at Silverstone. Um, he didn't really get close anywhere else. Um, and, and and science performed admirably in terms of scoring points, and they outscored McLaren. And for for me, McLaren obviously they started strongly, but they they really sort of Drifted off at the end, um, and I would think they'd be disappointed with certainly their second half of the season. Kind of after after the, the glories of Monza, and they got a, had a good you know, and almost a, a win in Sochi, and uh, Ricardo was still doing well there. But after that, it, it kind of drifted off for them. So yeah, I think both those teams have got a lot of work to do to get to the level where Red Bull and Mercedes, and that's why I wonder whether the the rules reset will be enough for them.
1: Yeah, I think they both developed um, a lot from from last year. They're both teams on the up after, um, you know, hitting pretty low lows. And they, they were quite different cars. The Ferrari tend to excel at slow corners and mechanical corners and had a, a lovely sort of nice balance rotation without the, the rear getting upset, which allowed, you know, um, Monaco was perfect for it and the, the slow sections of Baku. um few other places where it really shone with them. McLaren was more high speed and very aero efficient, and Monza was um, just uh, perfect for it. Where they couldn't do it was combine th- those things in the way that the, the the top two cars. So they were much patchier, but at, the, at their peak, they could sort of nibble away at those two cars and in, circum- in the right circumstances could even, you know, set a pole and um, could, you know, Figure as genuine contenders, but they just couldn't do that from you know one type of track to another. You know the Red Bull and the Mercedes would always be up front, um, and then those two might get close sometimes, but you know you, you, you know it wouldn't be sustained. But it represents significant progress, and I think um, promises great things for next year.
0: Yeah, and if we take them as a pairing, as a, a just two teams of four drivers, of those four. Who was most impressive for you, Damien? And and maybe who disappointed the most?
2: Well, I think Lando Norris for me was the the standout star beyond Max and uh, Lewis. The standout star for, for much of the season. Um, and um, you know he's, I, he's clearly in a he's an interesting position, isn't he? Because he's he's committed to McLaren and um, he looks at home there. He feels at home there. Um, and He's got years ahead of him. Are they going to give him the car that he needs to, you know, that George Russell's about to get? You know, is he, is, is Lando going to get, you know, is he going to start to think, what do I need to do to, uh, to become world champion? Because he can do it. He's, he's clearly got the, the, the raw materials there. Um, and I think that this year proved it. And conversely, I, I guess the, the contrast to his teammates was, was pretty stark. Um, And um, I don't know. I'm interested, Mark. What what did you think of Ricardo's season? And and did he? um, We thought he was getting better, and it it sort of trailed off a bit again towards the end, didn't it?
1: Yeah, there was still the same underlying problem. It it, um, it, it he lessened how 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 big that deficit was, and if um, Lando had a a sort of difficult. Practice session or something like that. He was close enough that he could occasionally take advantage in the latter half of the season. And uh, I think mean, Monza, obviously, was very, very comfortable up the front there. Um, and Lando just had to stay in position, really. But yeah, there's, there's still, I mean, it's specific to that car, I think. It's um, it's a, an unusual car in, in terms of what it demands of a driver, um, the technique that you have to use to to get to get it to rotate without losing. That losing too much speed. And he just did not get on top of it, um, which is uh, absolutely, you know, it's taken everyone by surprise because he's such a classy driver and everything he's done up to this point in his career. Um, you know, they said he was a megastar, um, but he has struggled with this car and he's, it has lasted the whole season. He was still adrift of Norris by the end of the season.
2: I mean, we don't see drivers recover from that kind of slump usually, do we, in in, in the past? Once they start to slide, they, they rarely come back. What do you think? Do you think he, he can?
1: I, I think he can. Um, I think um, with the right reset and with the reset of the new regulations, um, maybe that trait won't be there in the in the new car and everybody's starting from scratch. And he maybe he has a car which feels more natural to him and he doesn't have to think about what he's doing in that entry phase of the corner, which is he was still having to do. And um, I I do wonder sometimes, because Daniel, (laughs) he's probably the least technically minded driver in the whole field. And it's almost not mattered to him in the past. He he once said, I I don't know how an engine works. And I was incredulous. He don't know how an engine works. (laughs) It's just, you know, um, but he knows how to drive it. So I, I do wonder if that got in the way for the first time. If that was, it was suddenly he wasn't understanding what physically was happening and why he was a, why it was a problem. He was just trying to sort of feel his way around the problem when maybe he needed to be um, thinking about the physics of it and, and 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 trying to imprint that on his brain. I don't know. It's just a theory, but um, I, 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 I'm. I think and I hope that it was just specific to this car, just a blip, and I think he probably can bounce back from it.
0: And do you then agree as well with Damien's view that Lando was the the standout of those four? Or?
1: Oh, he was, I mean, Lando had such a brilliant season and he did some extraordinary things. And um, I mean, quite apart from that drive in Sochi where he set pole and was was going to keep Lewis off his back right to the flag until the the rain came and. You know changed that but um, for me the highlight was his qualifying lap in the um, was it the first race or the, the second Austria uh, where he got within hundreds of Verstappen's pole and when you watched the onboard in particular through what used to be called the Rinka of the Penelope corner the things he was doing with that car was just ac- so acrobatic it was extraordinary and you know I'm, I'm sure if Daniel Ricciardo looked at that and I'm sure he did I'm sure he thought I can't do that I I'm not even close to being able to to be confident enough to even think about doing what he's just done with that car and how he's used that curb there that's really just inviting you to be, to to destroy the car. And he's actually used it to help him get through it. You know, um, it was, he could sometimes do extraordinary things, but, um, I I'd, I'd put Charles Leclerc on, on the same sort of level, but it, it he it's he's longer established at that level. So it wasn't really news when he pulled out the amazing qualifying lap. You know, he would yeah, he's done it again. He's put it fourth and it should be sixth or seventh, you know, and again, and again. It's sort of just a routine. Um with Lando, it was um, you know, the it's only his third season, the car's getting better and better. So he's getting into territory he hasn't been before whereas lando's already an established uh, charles already established as a grand prix winner from 19 so i think lando made a bigger impact on the year on and everybody's consciousness than perhaps leclerc but i'd put them on much the same level they they're, they're both absolutely ready to fight for world championships
0: yeah it was very exciting to see that actually that that kind of evolution from norris i mean i think his qualifying lap in uh, imola would have been epic if he hadn't had just straight outside track limits we also had in the end he shunted didn't he, he start Q q3 at spa but he looked so quick there maybe a yeah. pole position for him there um and that maybe shows you know a th- few things to iron out but he is still that young but as you say charles is definitely ready for it carlos marked himself out as someone who will certainly deliver for ferrari as well but then the flip side is you know there's all this excitement about young talent and there's one in Pierre Gasly at Alfa who really impressed at times. But Alfa were locked in a fight with Alpine, where Fernando Alonso suddenly comes back and at times does things that Fernando Alonso did, you know, 20 years ago, basically. I mean, uh, how exciting was it to see that? Because from my perspective, I won't lie, and sorry, Fernando, I thought, what's he really going to add to F1 coming back? You know, he's he's done it. He's going to a midfield team. You know, he was unhappy or he was complaining rather than unhappy at McLaren when he left. Now, is this? Do we really need him back, or should a younger talent come in? And he proved me completely wrong. Uh, how about you, Damien?
2: Yeah, I mean he's he's Don Quixote, isn't he? He's just still tilting at windmills, but he does it just with such style and panache. And and it was a really significant season for for uh, Ocon, really, because here's a guy that you kind of thought is this like a, a Nico Rosberg, Michael Schumacher situation at Mercedes, and you know Nico kind of. Put Michael away, really, and and marked himself out. Um, and you thought, it, you know, Ocon could do with that kind of situation happening this year, and it didn't, did it? Really, you know, <laughs> there was just too often that uh, the old warrior was um, was showing showing on the way, and um, it was magnificent to have him back. I think, and he just he got these little cameos rather than the sustained kind of week in, week out. Um, and it was when when he had the the opportunity to show that he was unchanged you know and that the hungry moment um with with Hamilton um the, the defense there was um just good old fashioned fernando wasn't it you know it was uh, it, last night it was voted the the action moment of the year by the the FAA awards um and uh everyone cheered you know it was just it was just it's I think it's, it's May he continue. May he carry on. I don't know how long for. This, this, this age thing is interesting with this generation. They, they're going on longer, um, um, but are, he, he looks like he's got a couple more years in him. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't have any doubts. I, I thought he would be at the level that he left, um, and I did wonder why he was able to find the motivation to how he was able to find the motivation to come back in a team that wasn't clearly going to be fighting at the front. Um, but he did, he looked, he looked more into it actually Than in his final couple of years at McLaren um, And yeah, I think it took him probably half half a dozen races To properly sort of f- get that last fine horn bit of feel And I'd say, yeah, first half of the year He's generally not quite a knock-on space But second half of the year, he's generally a, a little bit ahead um, But that magnificent Sort of dice that he had with Hamilton for eleven laps in Hungary, which bought Ock on the win. That was just you. You could see all the skill was there. Everything that, that he was famous for. Um, the 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 way he fights for every last little inch of space without ever crossing over the line. Um, but just so hard and so perfect. Just a wonderful, wonderful racing driver. And I think if you just sort of took a a snapshot of how he was driving in that latter half of the season i think if you put him in a title contending car he would absolutely be going wheel to wheel with verstappen and Hammond. absolutely no question and um <laughs> yeah he's just a, a remarkable a remarkable competitor
0: i think that's what's been so exciting about his return actually and like you said in a sense of the Verstappen and, and Hamilton crossover. And you know, I don't see it as a changing of the guard. I see it as just a changing of an era into a point where you've got two greats competing at the top of their game, fighting each other. Uh, there's not a handover there where Lewis is declining. Similarly, now Fernando coming in isn't a declining Fernando Alonso. It's a still very, very strong Fernando Alonso. Uh, potentially not quite the case at Aston Martin with Sebastian Vettel, though, when he made that switch. There were times, there were flashes that looked good and promising, but there was just... Too many weekends where you'd struggle to remember what happened where he was, what he did. Um, What did uh, you make mark of? A, I guess the change that that Aston Martin were faced with the regulations that it really did seem to hurt them and they didn't seem to find a way of responding to that. But B, then what we saw from the experienced driver in Seb this year.
1: Yeah, they definitely did lose a big chunk to the regulations. The racing point last year was probably... Vying with Red Bull actually as the the second or third fastest car, which and I think the only the only difference between them last year was the difference between Sheko and and, and Max, and we've seen a, a similar difference with them in the same car this year. So um, yeah, it was nowhere near that. It was probably the sixth or seventh fastest car um, at best, which was a pity because yeah, it lost. It, it just it was difficult to measure Seb. In those circumstances, we saw that, yeah, he was usually quicker than Lance Stroll. And, um, yes, we saw a, a few instances where he was absolutely uh, on top of his game. I thought uh, his fifth place in Monaco, actually, was was probably the, the the best race of his season, although he finished second in Hungary and, um, and, and Baku as well. But I thought his best race was Monaco, and uh, he did that fantastic outlap um, which got him the place, and then he had to go wheel to wheel with Gasly up, up to um, up to the top of the hill and did it, but with inches to spare. And I thought that that looked, you know, proper old old school. Um, Seb, um, they 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 love they love him there. They they say that um, it's been a complete education for him and the. The, the the approach that he takes and how he leaves no stone unturned and this, that he, he he's always got questions which is actually making them some of them and they can't answer and i think all oh, right oh, yeah we, we do need to get on top of that yeah okay we hadn't thought of that and they've actually initiated new processes w- within the factory just as a result of this constant constant you know push from them. and i think that's where his value is but in terms of his on track this year it's been okay um, but I wouldn't say it's been vintage, and it's difficult. It's difficult to, to properly assess that when the, when the car's not really there. So yeah, I'm still hopeful that we we can see another few years of um, vintage Seb if they can um, give him a car that he the, the sort of car that he needs to perform. I
2: I can't see. I just think it's over for him really, and, and I have thought for some time. I think he's a fabulous bloke. And he's, a, he's been a great champion and a great figure in in in, in Formula One. And, you know, th- these guys, you're a long time retired, aren't you? You know, they're at a stage, if they live a full lifespan, they're only halfway through their lives. And this has been their commitment since they were kids. And, um, you know, it goes for all of them, really, you know. And um, they all love the sensation of being a Formula One driver. You know, Kimi was the archetype who, Hated everything else about Formula One, but the actual driving stuff, he couldn't get enough. And and I think they're all the same, in that sense. Um, and I guess some of us looking from the outside, I just want Seb to retire because I think he's a, um, he's diminishing his, what we think of him over the over the years because of the the performances have dropped off. Um, but if he's still loving it and he's still as Mark says he's contributing to the team in that way then he's going to, he's going to carry on, but I kind of wish he wouldn't. And I also think he's got so much to offer the world as a, as a, as a person, you know, and he's got, um, he's got a lot of very thoughtful bloke, very intelligent. Um, and I'm fascinated to see what he does next when he does finally quit.
0: Yeah, it will be interesting to see, uh, if there's a change next year, if the car's more competitive for him, and if we do see that just ignite a little bit more of the fire because of you know maybe he's in a surroundings that suit him more. But we will get on to 2022 in a, in a second. Um, but be- before we get on to there, you mentioned Kimi. You mentioned uh, the fact Yeah, he went on so long, but he has now retired. It was his his final season and went out in a bit of a whimper with the way it finished in Abu Dhabi. But that was an Alfa Romeo team that, to me, kind of disappointed slightly when you had the kind of you know more competitive Ferrari there clearly was a, a better power unit on that front but Alfa Romeo were kind of even more in no man's land than um, Aston Martin proved to be and, and you know Kimi's an experienced guide couldn't really drag it any further so that brings me to the question for both of you um, for two sides of this then we did it a bit with McLaren and, and Ferrari but in general in the midfield who impressed you uh, or what impressed you, if it was just a, a team? Uh, and, and who disappointed you? Uh, Damien, I'm going to put you on the spot again first.
2: Ooh, okay. Um, well, I'll start with the disappointment. To be honest, Alfa Romeo didn't disappoint me because they're they aren't they? And and, and so <laughs> they just do what they always do. You know, and you, you get every now and again, you get a decent point score somewhere, maybe. But um, so they kind of just lived up to expectations. Uh, Alpine... Um, Disappointing, I think, and but Alonso for me was was uh, the sort of midfield star. I think when he when he had the opportunity to show it, I think, um, yeah, I think I'd go for him.
0: And, Mark,
1: yeah, I think um, Alpha was, was disappointing. The, the operations side of the car uh, of the team was disappointing, they made some sort of schoolboy errors that lost them points um yeah i mean it depends where you draw the midfield as um I mean, sometimes george russell put the williams <laughs> in places that I had no right to be but that's probably a, a, a car that's really only the ninth of the fastest of the 10 cars but um if if i can include him it would be it would be george because he did some absolutely unbelievable things um none more so than putting it on the front row in the wet Spa. <laughs> Just quite extraordinary, but he, that wasn't a one-off. You know, he qualified third in Sochi with it. He put it in Q3 at Silverstone with an absolutely wonderful lap in Q2. um For me, that is a world champion caliber driver in you know a rubbish car. You know, which you often hear fans saying, it, "What? It's it's so dominated by the car. What would it look like if you had a, a you know a mega driver in a." A rubbish car. Well, I think it would look like that. It, it's usually, you can't do anything with it. But occasionally, just the slightest little opportunity and you'll see something special. That's what it looks like. And I think that's what we were watching.
0: You know how to segue for me because I did want to bring up George and Williams just before we yeah. m- moved on to rookies. But <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Spa as well because that was uh, an insane lap. And, and from... Uh, my perspective, a lovely tale of woe, but I, that was a place where I'd had a, a false positive COVID test and was sat, was still isolating, waiting to get my third negative to be released. And watching the timing screens at the end of Q3, and just seeing the purple set this on George's, and I thought, oh, because I can't look out the window and check, I'm still in the hotel. I thought maybe he's got a toe maybe someone just was nicely placed for him and he's just picked up a, a toe out of the source or something, and that's given him those two purple sectors. And then they continued and you're just getting more and more excited. No one you can shout to across the room, no one else there, just in your own little box, getting so excited. And that was based on the timing screen of a guy doing a lap. But you're right, it just, it went far beyond anywhere that car should have been. Even if, you know, engineers will always then break it down as why, as you know, the way that they prepared the tires, the, the outlaps they did, how he got everything ready for the start of the lap. Okay, yeah, that played a huge part, but otherwise, everyone would do that if it was that simple. to To be able to execute was incredible. Um, and Damien, did we see from George? Because I mean, the, Bahrain last year, twenty twenty, could have been enough to convince Mercedes. But but this year, did he go beyond just convincing Mercedes he was the right guy for the drive, and probably convince Mercedes that he is their future world champion, that that is the the replacement for Lewis Hamilton when they need him.
2: Yeah, I think he was—he's just so consistent week in, week out, you know. And he's got that that Saturday reputation um, uh, for for good reason, you know. That um, I think you know, Mark's put it very nicely that it, it, he's 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 outperforming the car, and he's um, he's clearly got all the the qualities, uh, which is why he's got the drive he has. The one the one blot, of course, was Imola, and the. Uh, it wasn't so much the accident itself it was more the response to the accident which was a bit disappointing and and not too clever actually um given given the circumstances he was in um and that just you, you kind of reminds you these guys are still very young and he's been so patient he's had to be so patient for so long um and it was um uh yeah, I guess he was he was rather petulant that weekend, I thought, in the way he way he responded. But he'll have learned from that, won't he? And um uh I'm sure that that lesson will will, will will go into next year when he's when he's in a proper car.
0: And he also showed, didn't he, Mark, the kind of the absolute level that maybe has um we've seen from Bottas at times in terms of like a qualifying performance or, or the flashes. Uh, but he showed them in a poor car more consistently than perhaps Bottas suggested he would do. So yeah, you know, do you see this as an upgrade for Mercedes next year?
1: Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. And I think um he won't just be an occasional thorn in Lewis's side like Valtteri is, you know, four or five times a season. So it's going to be there every race. He's, he's Lewis is going to have to be George to to win a title as well as Max.
0: Yeah, he, he certainly is it's going to be uh, exciting to watch that dynamic play out. And he is one of the the young guys that Again, you know, mentioned some earlier with Lando and Charles that that really excite. But we also had uh, a few new rookies this year. Uh, new rookies as opposed to old rookies. And uh, from those, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity, let's be fair, for the Haas guys specifically to show a lot. But we'll start with them. Mick Schumacher, reigning Formula 2 champion, uh, did everything he had to do in terms of getting himself into F1. Uh, Damien, what did you see from... Well, it's such a famous name. There's obviously a burden on that. But what did you see in terms of uh, mixed performances and the way he improved during this year was were you impressed with him or would you like to see a little bit more from someone who's won the uh, category below?
2: It's really hard to tell, isn't it with that with that team um, you know i i um I interviewed Roman Grosjean recently and 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 he talked about the frustration that you know um, he and Kevin Magnuson both shared at that team, and he said, you know we got a lot of blame for it. And you see, this year, it's not the drivers. You know, it's there's there's more underlying. So it's hard to judge. I think you said he kind of did what he had to do to get there, and he did what he had to do this year. I think in terms of um, you know, Mazapan was a you know a bit of a liability to start with. Settled down a bit, but he was you know he's clearly not really sort of top quality F1 material. I don't think. So it's it's very hard to judge. But Mick Schumacher didn't do too much wrong. I would say, which is which is good. Um, and I'd love to see him get a a, a better opportunity. Um, but I, I can't personally, I can't give any judgment on him yet. it's just it's just too it's too difficult. there's too there's, there's there's too much around him that isn't allowing him to show anything, really.
1: yeah, he did all that could be asked of him. he, he absolutely annihilated his teammate, who was uh, you know a rival in Formula Two um 15 nil up and qualifying in the, the you know where you could make a valid comparison where one or the other of them didn't have a problem um beat him pretty much every race I think it was three races Mazepin got the upper hand um I think he's done enough to it'd be interesting to see him in a more competitive car I think you know he, he could be one of those drivers who gradually just just gets better and better he because he's he's a bright guy um yeah I, I'd be intrigued to see him in, in and
0: I mean, one of the things that um, clearly has been a trait of Mix has been the way he improves in his second season. So it'll be interesting to see if he does that from a Formula 1 perspective because it did look like he grew into this year a bit as well. But the flip side was true of the other rookie on the grid, Yuki Tsunoda, who had been moved quite quickly up and got, come through as a rookie from F2. And, and that almost looked like it was done on raw talent. And perhaps that put pressure on him and, and maybe the lack of experience showed this year. Uh, Mark, what did you make of, of Yuki in the Alpha Tauri? Because that was a strong car.
1: Yeah, it was a really good car. Um, and he came in, you know, really impressively in Bahrain. Um, all all through testing in Bahrain, he looked terrific. In fact, he looked quicker than Gasly at first. And then he had that big shunt in qualifying, at Imola, round two, and basically just disappeared for the rest of the year and sort of re-emerged around emerged around Mexico time. He started looking good again, and he went out really well in Abu Dhabi. He was, um, you know, that was the fourth place well well deserved and he was very very quick all weekend and the only time he had qualified Gasly all season but yeah I think essentially he came in under prepared and his confidence took a big knock and uh he still has has a lot to learn um but he, he is gradually getting there and he's such a refreshing guy because he's he, he just he just you ask him a question he just says exactly what, what what's in his head and it's sometimes very amusing and i think he's a breath of fresh air and uh as a personality and so hopefully uh you can combine that with next year with a more consistent with his best stuff more consistently
0: yeah damien were you impressed with with yuki or did you like seeing his addition
2: yeah well definitely from the character side of things he's a, an interesting guy and um, you know the, the swearing on the radio stuff early on was quite funny you know it was um Entertaining. um It's always one of those strange things about AlphaTauri and Red Bull that they, they have this reputation for bringing young drivers through, and yet they're the team, the teams that are so bad at managing young drivers in terms of looking after them and kind of making them feel good about themselves. Um, and it's it, you know we've seen it before that it's quite a destructive place on on confidence. And I do wonder if maybe it's not the best place for Sonoda in, in that sense. That um, maybe with a, a more of a nurturing uh, environment we might see more from him he's you know he's, he's clearly um a talented bloke um but he's he's very young very in his way i think he's very young not just in age he, he's he um he's got a lot of maturing to do whether he gets the time to do it is the, is the big question i guess
0: yeah it it looks like he will certainly obviously get next year and yeah. uh, there were some promising signs at the end of the season and as mark says that p4 in abu dhabi came with a heck of a send on the final lap on valtteri bottas where i mean how that didn't end up in contact, I have no idea, but it was a it was a great, brave lunge to finish the season because it could have put it on such a down note. Uh, sadly, that race still did put a lot of F1 uh, news, I guess, or views, uh, reputation on a down note. Uh, we can't ignore it, and we didn't want to start this podcast talking about it, but we will finish uh, talking about it before we look ahead to 2022, finally. The controversial final lap restart, um, I can tell where where Mark's views were going to be, so I'll let him come second on this one. Um, Damien, like, what was the feeling you were left with, with the way the season ended?
2: Just exasperation, really, that Formula One had blown its lines uh, in front of this massive audience when suddenly everyone is talking about Formula One. Um, and it's just the, the old-fashioned Formula One thing of shooting itself. In the foot, just just as things are looking good. I mean, it is it has taken the shine off the season a bit, you know? Well, more than a bit. It's taken the shine off an awful lot. But um, both of them deserve the championship. We all know that. You know, there was nothing between them, um, and I, you know, I didn't care which one won. I just wanted it to be won properly, and it wasn't. It wasn't won properly. It was an absolute mess. The FIA have got a lot of uh, review re- reviewing to to, to to do at all their processes, not just on this this uh, this thing the whole thing about um uh the, the the racing rules and track limits all is all part of the same story i think really in terms of how they govern this sport um and it's i'm worried about the sort of witch hunt element about going after michael massey who clearly made some very strange decisions in the in the moment um it shouldn't be just about him it should be about the whole system um and uh, and a proper sort of root and branch review of the whole whole way that grand prix racing works because yeah they it it was a devastatingly disappointing end to the season
0: uh, yeah i agree with you on on the massive front as well in that i've been very critical of him in over the last few days but you know he gets a feeling an opinion a kind of understanding of what he should try and do or what he should do from a much wider thing yeah you know, he's not one individual he is part of the FIA yeah. uh he's been trained there he yeah you know, there, there must have been reasons that he felt compelled to try and make that race finish under green even if it was going to be uh well so controversial because of the way it was going to influence the rest of the race and everyone else in it so uh Mark just what was your initial reaction when I mean you would have been there trying to um, keep on top of everything in detail um for your reports and for your analysis and then when you see the choices that were made by race control what was your initial reaction even before we knew what the final outcome was going to be
1: the we disbelief when i saw the message go up on the screen that those five cars that were between hamilton and verstappen would be allowed to unlap themselves i've never seen that if you either have lap cars can unlap themselves or lap cars can't won't be able to unlock themselves, which is the message had gone up a few minutes earlier, that, that there would be no um, cars unlapping themselves. But then to specifically say, these cars, these cars, and these cars can, and without mentioning the other cars, that that's just not in the regular. You can't do that in the regulation. There is no part of the regulation which allows you to do that. And that's where I was um, in disbelief. and And because you knew what that would set up, you knew that there was it's going to put Max on Lewis's gearbox, and he was on tyres that were at least two seconds a lap faster. So of course that was going to change. You know that that's what, what was going to happen. It was like the lamp of the slaughter, and it was outrageous. And it would have been equally outrageous if it had been Verstappen leading and had been screwed over by it. You know, it's just forget who benefited from it. It was just wrong. And the, the whole thing was because you know they, they wanted the, the the drama of a, of, a, of a live finish to the season which is a a fine as a general principle let's all all, always try and ensure that happens if at all possible but you cannot subvert the rules to get there you you just can't that's that's somebody come on on social media came up with a great analogy you can argue that the referees um made the wrong call on a yellow card either it was a yellow and he, he didn't give it or it wasn't and he did but he can't give a purple card. He can't make a card up, you know. That's that's effectively what happened. You know, it's just it's nonsense. It may, and it, given given that we'd had such a fantastic season, got there for this fantastic finale on equal points, you then just sort of fall flat on your face. And it was just extraordinary bad judgment, I thought. But at the same time, he's under massive pressure. He's under time pressure. He's got lobbyists in his ear and live time. Uh, who have access to information which is worked out in milliseconds on a computer back at base and how scenarios are going to pan out and he's running around trying to do all sorts of th- stuff you know including sweeping cement off the track so you know it's just it, it needs a better system I- I- in support um and I, in a column of done for, for motorsport I said you know you he was set up to fail but he did fail in in that in that instant, and it was yeah just such a disappointment.
0: Could, yeah. Can I just
2: ask a quick question, Mark? Um, on uh, the the teams and their communications with um, with Messi, because obviously we're all hearing it now; it's all being broadcast. Um, is it happening more than it used to, or is it just that it's being broadcast?
1: I, I honestly don't know because I'm in the same boat as you. We're hearing it for the first time. Uh, and in in the days of charlie he used to have herbie sitting alongside him and they would be you know a, a lot of that um discussion would be going herbie's way and if, if charlie was um preoccupied with something else and i i know michael does have an assistant but it, it sounds as though the the uh communication goes direct to him and i uh, i mean it's been said that that's going to stop fr- from now that, that that's not going to be broadcast anymore um, and it's, it's it's gonna be you know that there's not gonna you're not gonna have access directly to him anymore um so that, that implies he's gonna have a, a herbie type guy fulfilling that role but um yeah he, he was set up to fill
0: Michael himself has said that there was more he thinks before uh before it started being broadcast and worse but now that the teams know it's being broadcast they're a little bit more selective with what they say and how they say it um whether that's true or not we won't know because we didn't get to hear the bits before but uh it was quite funny when we first when it first started becoming a thing you could notice that teams are lobbying him and it sounds like there's pressure being put on him or criticism and um we sort of said you know is, is this more than before now and we're hearing it because because it's being broadcast they're using it to like put pressure on you and he was like no it's the it's the opposite if anything it's, it's gone quieter because they don't want to say certain things or they're a bit worried about how it'll be heard over the uh, world feed but i i do think it it's gone too far i think it i mean damien you, you mentioned netflix style before i mean the guys that make netflix have got too much unfair heat for creating a documentary that uh that shows us the inside inner workings of f1 that's great and then everyone criticizes them for the way yeah. an f1 season finishes but um Clearly, it it was used um, to make his job harder when it when it shouldn't be that way. Uh, it's almost like saying in, in any other sport, yep, yeah, go and have a, a rant at the referee, feel free whenever you want, and then he'll make a decision because he's strong enough to deal with that. And that's just putting unfair pressure on. Uh, so I think it's a good change that Ross Braun says that that will have to change next year. What else needs to change off the back of this controversy? What what else do the FI need to do for people, I guess, that have been disillusioned by this? Uh, not just Toto Wolf and Lewis Hamilton, but uh, millions of fans as well, um, to fall back in love again with it and kind of have some faith in Formula One from the start of next season?
2: Well, I, I don't know. The, the, the damage it's done, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to tell at the moment in terms of whether people have fallen out of love with it. Um, I'll be intrigued to see. I mean, I, um, I was talking to my son earlier on who's works in the local pub and he was saying they're still talking about it. You know, it's a, it's a week later and they're still talking about it. So it's... Um, it, it, it could be good box office still it could it could it could work in full One's favor in terms of the, the popularity side but in terms of what needs to, what needs to change um I, I think um the whole the whole aspect of rules rules for racing um and how those judgments are made um i think they've got they've tied themselves in knots with it so much and and it obviously it came out with the the brazil example is the one that everyone talks about in turn four and max and Lewis um and yeah it, I, I for me that that's all part of the same story and and and, uh, and and track limits we talked about old school circuits um with the old old school circuits there's more punishment if you go offline um and I think that's 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 a good thing you know um and it's something as I say I've been working with Johnny Herbert this year and it's something he's very uh, keen on talking about is is the fact that um, uh, there, there shouldn't there shouldn't should there be rules for racing I don't know I'm not sure whether whether it's you know
1: what do you think Mark I think there are too many rules and I think them the more you create, the more you create, you know, because you, you, you then say, yeah, well, yeah, we didn't think of that situation, so in that situation, it's got to be this interpretation, et cetera. It just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it would be simplified if we had um, on corner exits, you know, beyond the curb, a little bit of grass and beyond that, some gravel. And the complication for that, of course, is the uh, MotoGP using a lot of the same circuits. So I don't think it would be uh too difficult to come up with a um you know a, a system where you, you had uh you, you were able to put uh, asphalt um sections down for the for the bikes and take them back up and have gravel underneath it for the cars and i think that an, an awful lot of this uh would just disappear if we if, if we didn't have to delineate where the track was by uh, painted lines rather than just stuff you you don't go on otherwise you're finished
0: and all of those are, are pretty fair kind of um, controversies though, aren't they, in terms of, you know, the way people are interpreting the way racing's happened in the same way any other sport, you know, the way a referee interprets the way something plays out, whether it's a foul or not, or whether something was legal or illegal. The final race was something completely different. Um, and that's, that's left to sour taste. There's going to be this FIA uh, review into it. Um, is it as simple as you change the race director and people are going to be happy or... Does the whole FIA governance system need overhauling in this?
2: Well, having said I don't want to witch hunt, I do think Massey has to go I do not I d I don't I don't think there's any coming back for him. I think it's he's gone, you know, he's lost the, the confidence of everyone. Um so that that is a something that will make a difference. Um but you know, um, I think it's yeah, you know, we've we've talked about it before that the, the Herbie Blash Charlie Whiting scenario worked for years and it worked pretty well and i think putting it all into one person um as you you said itself is, is unfair i think yeah they need they need to have some sort of new structure um there's always going to be someone who's responsible there has to be a race director um but i think making it personality driven as well and being on one person is is the is the wrong way to go about it
0: well, let's uh, take that and completely turn it around in terms of looking forward, but a positive side, because next year is going to be so, so different. Um, and I, I want to finish on the excitement that that has. We have, hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean, I can't imagine Lewis Hamilton retiring, but there's still these little rumours that he's so upset right now that we might not see him next year. Um, we've hopefully got Lewis Hamilton versus Max Verstappen Mark two. If Red Bull and Mercedes can deliver competitive cars that are competitive with each other as well at the front of the field completely new regulations, Mark, a whole new era that should close up the field. How excited are you for it? Do you think it will? Or have we just been spoiled by what we've had this season where everything got close and it's all going to open up again under new regulations?
1: I think in theory, these regulations, probably over the long term, will close up the field because there's less opportunity to um, to do something different, and there's a spending limit on um, how much you can invest in finding, you know, the extra tenth of lap time. But I think the act of um, sort of stopping one formula and starting another one, by definition, that usually spreads the field because there's a bigger variation, a bigger spread of first answers, and uh, you you get the sort of you know, everybody tends to start converge to a what's understood to be the best answers um, as time goes on. But in yeah, I, I actually think we'll probably have a bigger field spread at the beginning of this um, new formula than uh, than we had at the end of the the one we've just had. So yeah, I think we we've, <laughs> we've probably been a little bit spoiled by this season. Um, and if we get anything that's even remotely like it next season, I think we'll be doing very well.
0: And Damien, how excited are you, though, to to see maybe round two of Lewis and Max if it comes under a a brand new kind of era of F1?
2: Well, my my reason for optimism um, is, I mentioned it at the start, I was optimistic about next year. Um, It's because it's Lewis versus Max versus George Russell, for me, is the thing that I'm looking forward to and to see where George ends up in that mix. Um, I'm not completely convinced, as Mark's said, really, that um, uh, I'm just not convinced that we're going to get uh, a four-way team battle at the top that suddenly, you know, Ferrari McLaren are going to be there um, just because of the rules. Um, but I, you know, I really want to see what George Russell is going to do in a proper car.
0: And I guess one thing that is uh, exciting if it does happen is if either McLaren or Ferrari were at the front, um, then both of them have a pair of drivers that should be exciting to watch uh, how it plays out between them. Uh, even if we get down to Alpine and Espanocon is now a race winner, they were still fairly closely matched. But that would be Fernando Alonso at the front again. Uh, there's there's so many teams we could go down that if they get it right, they've got excitement in there, haven't they? We've got we've got such a talented grid right now that have that very few have hurt their reputations this year.
2: Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And there's a lot there's a lot of potential there. I mean, Leclerc is just treading water, and he's a you know massive potential um, to do to, to all sorts. You know, what, what if he gets a good Ferrari? Um, so let's let's hope so. I'm I'm a bit skeptical on that one, but you know, um, as I say, the, 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 my main focus is Lewis having a few dark moments this winter, and then saying to himself, "I've got to come back. I can't I can't leave this alone. This is not the way to finish." Uh, and I want to see how I compare against George Russell and 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 um, take my revenge on Max. I think that would be great. The, th- the three of them going at it.
0: So is that your biggest wish? If you get one thing, it's it's Mercedes and Red Bull still closely matched, and, and seeing those three going at it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That's for me. That's what I'm looking forward to and hopeful for.
0: And Mark, if you've got one wish for 2022, what are you going for?
1: Um, That impossible four car, um, equal equal four cars. So we've got um, eight drivers going at it on equal terms. (laughs) I think. um,
0: To be fair. To, to be fair, if if we got that, it might mean that I can ask you guys the same question next year. Of was twenty twenty two the greatest step season we've ever seen, and and you might be saying yes because um <laughs> yeah it's not it's not a question you often get to ask, and it was great that we could start it with with that question and um and have a positive answer this year. So, um, Damien, Mark, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting to you both about how twenty twenty one went and the uh, the ups and the downs. And hope you both have a very merry Christmas and happy New Year also to our listeners thank you very much for sticking with us throughout all of that uh and that breakdown of the 2021 season we'll be back next year to look ahead to what will hopefully be an absolutely thrilling new era of formula one and um yeah let's let's go with mark's prediction of four four cars maybe five six let's have the whole grid all right up there fighting for wins but um for now we'll just we'll say thank you very much for listening i hope you all enjoyed what was an epic 2021 season and we'll see you soon